And yet when those things happen, when we face tragedy, we need to remember that God is in control. Sometimes we face tragedy for any number of, of reasons. One of the books in the Old Testament uh, that we sometimes forget to talk about is the book of Obadiah. And what we want to do this morning as we think about Obadiah is the fact that Obadiah is writing at a dark time in the history of Israel. The Babylonians, under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, have come into Jerusalem, not once, not twice, but three times. And on that third time in which he comes into Judea, uh, he destroys everything. He destroys the city of Jerusalem. He destroys uh, the temple. Uh, after this point in time, we never read about the Ark of the Covenant any longer. Things have gotten very bleak and dark for the people of Israel. And yet, even as Nebuchadnezzar does that, most of the people of Israel have been transported by the Babylonians back to Babylon. And yet, there are still a few that live in Judah. But their neighbors aren't content to just let Israel or Judah be. Instead, their neighbors, the sons of Edom, the sons of Seir, the descendants of Esau, their brethren, their cousins, choose to make matters worse for them. We can only imagine what it would be like for those of Judah to say, what now? What next? How are we going to get through this? And so God sends a message through Obadiah. A message of hope for the sons of Israel, but a message of doom for the people of Edom. And this morning, as we think about this message to the book of Obadiah, the prophet of Obadiah, we want to think about the pride of the Edomites. We want to think about uh, God's uh, uh, taking, uh, or Edom's taking advantage of Israel. We want to think about God's justice as well. So let's begin by looking at the opening verses of Obadiah. And notice what God says to the Edomites. Obadiah, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. An envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling places, who say in your heart, who will bring me down? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If these came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked. His hidden treasures searched out. The men allied with you will send you forth to the border. And men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, Destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau when your mighty men will be dismayed, O Teman, so that everyone may be cut off from the foundation of Esau by slaughter. 
As we look at these opening verses of this book of Obadiah, we're introduced to the arrogance, verse 3, of the Edomites. And it talks about them setting their houses, their dwelling places, up in the high places. It's hard for us to imagine what this countryside looked like, because most of us have never been there. But we can place on a map where Israel is today, and we can perhaps place on a map where Israel was in antiquity. Maybe we can think of the Sea of Galilee in the north and, and the Dead Sea in the south. But Edom was on that eastern side of the Jordan. They overlooked Judah, uh, and they lived in a, a section of the Middle East where you have huge uh, mountains made of limestone. And limestone is easy to work and carve out. And so you had civilizations, including Edomites, including the kingdom of Korea later on, and they would build their, their villages and they would build their houses in the sides of the mountain. And this was an advantage to them because who can take you out when your house literally is a mountainside? And so the Edomites were among those that that's where they lived. That's where they dwelled. And the cliffs of Edom overlooked Judah. And so they could see what was going on beneath or in the valleys below. Now remember, Esau was the brother of Jacob, right? Jacob becomes the people of Israel or the nation of Israel. And Esau becomes 12 tribes as well, the Edomites. And they settled near Mount Seir. And so they become known as Seir. And so those two names, Edom and Seir, are names that refer to the descendants of Esau. And so when Nebuchadnezzar comes into Judah and he destroys Judah and he ransacks Jerusalem and he destroys Jerusalem and he tears down the temple of God and the people of Judah, except for a remnant, are carried away, there are the Edomites. Now they had a choice that they could make. Their choice was that they could go to the aid of their cousins, their distant cousins, and take care of them, trade with them, give cover to them, offer protection to them, or they could take advantage of the calamity that came upon Judah. And evidently, the Edomites chose the latter. They chose to bring more calamity on Judah. They would sweep in and they would pillage the people that still live there. As caravans and traders would come into Judah, they would even strike those. And so they added to the misery of the people of Israel, and they tried to take advantage of that. The Edomites were known for their arrogance because of their fortifications. Uh, their stock in trade was to monitor caravans coming in and out of this region and, and swoop down from the mountain places and then swoop back up into the mountain places, knowing that people couldn't follow them and reclaim their treasures, reclaim the things that they had brought for trade. And so this was a problem throughout antiquity, and this was the way Edom operated. It, it was so bad that in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 14, David, as king, puts a garrison in Edom. He's able to control them to a certain extent. 
In 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 12, it seems to be that Edom has become a client state of Judah during the great kings of Judah. But they would revolt a few chapters later, 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 20, only to be resubjugated or recontrolled uh, by King Uzziah, one of the last righteous kings of Judah. 2 Kings chapter 8, or excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 7. But they would raid caravans passing by. And they wouldn't stop until their treasures are filled. And it seems like God is bringing that back on them by asking them the question, uh, when robbers come to you, are they just going to stop when they get their fill? When they've had enough, verse 5? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. They're going to take everything they can. You're going to take the time to break into somebody's house, and you have all the time in the day uh, to take what you can. That's what you do, right? You don't want to just take a couple things. It's not that any of us here are experts in thievery, right? Uh, but you can imagine. You know, thieves come in and break. They take everything of value that they can find, everything that they can get their hands on, everything that they can carry out. That's what they take. And that's what this imagery is here. Edom, this is what you've been doing to the other nations. This is what you've been doing to Judah. God's going to let it happen to you. Your pride is on your ability to swoop in and take things, and that's going to come back upon you. And so that was the pride of the Edomites, and that's how they would take advantage of people. That's how they would uh, or, or war, if you will. Ezekiel speaks about what uh, Edom tried to do to Israel in Judah. So we want to go to Ezekiel chapter 35 uh, for just a moment. <coughs> and notice what Ezekiel observes about the work of the Edomites. Ezekiel chapter 35, beginning in verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The Son of Man, set your face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and make you a desolate and a waste. I will lay waste to your cities, and you will become a desolation. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And then notice the reasoning for God's judgment against Edom. Verse 5. Because you have had everlasting enmity and have delivered the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of the punishment of the end. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will give you over to bloodshed. Notice verse 10. Because you have said these two nations and these two lands will be mine, we will possess them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord, verse 11, I will deal with you according to your anger and according to your envy, which you showed because of your hatred against them. So I will make myself known among them when I judge you. The pride of Edom, their ability to live high up in the cliffs, to have their great homes built in the sides of mountains, their ability to swoop down and, and raid the, the cities and the caravans that were unprotected, and then go back and say, look what we're able to do. Who can rage against us? That was their pride, and God says, because that's how you've acted, because that's how you behaved, it's going to come back on you. But let's think about things from Israel's perspective. Let's think about things from our perspective. And just think how often 
things seem to come in rounds. Uh, we often say in our culture, we have the saying, bad things happen in threes. I don't know if that's really true or not, but it sure seems like it, right? Yeah, one bad thing happens, you think, oh, man. Two more bad things are coming down the road. And, and that seems to be what's happening to Israel. If you're one of those few uh, members of Judah that have been left behind, and your house have been destroyed, your crops have been destroyed, pestilence, famine, all the things that go along with war and devastation, they're upon you. But then you have these pests, these people who you know are distant relatives, and instead of them helping you, they're making matters worse by coming in and trying to take over the land by trying to raid those caravans that are bringing some good things into your land, by taking some of the things that you've been able to produce and trade with other countries, send back to Babylon. Those things are being taken away. And, and, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, God, how long are you going to let this happen? Can you imagine the psyche of the people of Judah? For years and years and years and years, their parents have said, look, we are the descendants of Israel. God said that he was going to uh, have his presence among us. Uh, we built this great temple uh, to him. Inside was the, uh, was the Ark of the Covenant. And, and as long as that was there, God was with us. God was taking care of us. Do you remember the great stories of King David? And you've heard all these things, and it's all gone. And you wonder to yourself, were those things really real? Did those things really happen? Now remember, if you're sitting in Judah in 586 B.C., you didn't see David. You didn't see Solomon. You saw the temple. You heard that the Ark of the Covenant was in there. You know you took animals up there to be sacrificed from time to time by these priests. Well, was that all real? Or was it just a bunch of made-up junk? Where was God when Nebuchadnezzar and his armies came against us 20 years ago? Where was he when Nebuchadnezzar came the second time a few years later? Where was he when he came this last time and he totally destroyed our city? Now, can you imagine the despair and the gloom and the darkness that those folks must have felt. The same way that there are people in Florida probably feeling this way. As their children or the friends of their children are no more. Because somebody went in and exploited a situation when the people that were there to protect you evidently didn't do anything to protect you. And they knew that danger was there. When you look at the world around and there's constantly violence and death and destruction. And people in those times wonder, is God real? 
If he does, if he, if he is, then why do bad things happen? If he's real and if he's truly all loving, if, he, if he's truly all knowledgeable, if, he, if he's truly all powerful, then why do these things happen? And people really ask those questions. And so God's going to give his answer to the, to the Edomites and to the people of Judah. Notice what God says. God, Edom's act to take advantage of Judah, but God is going to act. Notice verse 10. Because of your violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. You weren't really there, but you parted alongside of them. You took advantage of the situation just as soon as you could. Verse 12, don't gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune. And do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their distress. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster. Do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives. Do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. There is a day coming in which God is going to take care of it. Throughout the Old Testament, there are times that we see this phrase, the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord was either a good day or it was a bad day, depending on which side of the Lord you stood on. The day of the Lord almost always meant a day of judgment. And sometimes the day of the Lord literally means a day of judgment. Sometimes it, it seems to refer to an extended period of time in which God is carrying out His judgment. But the day of the Lord is a time in which God is coming to take care of business. And God says to the people of Edom, your day is coming. You're doing all these things to Israel and to Judah, but you better watch out because your day is coming. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position of suddenly being in control, we think. And we want to flaunt that day. Or we allow our pride to guide our actions regardless of God. And sometimes we know folks who conduct their lives that way. But the message here is you better watch out. Because what you're doing now will come back on you. As the old phrase goes, what goes around comes around. And so that seems to be what God's message to Judah is. That day is coming. You need to understand that what you do will come back on you. God continues, verse 16. Because just as you drank in my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape. And it will be 
holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions when the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be a stubble. And they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Then those in the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau. Those in Shephelah, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. Benjamin will possess Gilead. And all the exiles, or the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Seraphad will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. There is a day coming from God's perspective as he writes to the people of Edom, really writing to the people of Judah. There's a day coming in which God will carry out his judgment against Edom because of the way that they took advantage of Judah's calamity. <clears throat> and the message is Edom's going to be completely destroyed in that day. And yet Israel will remain. You guys rem remember reading Matthew chapter 2 of King Herod? Herod was said to be Jewish, but really he was an Edomian. The Edomians were just the Latinized name of Edom. Herod really was a half-breed uh, between Israel and Esau. He was the last of the great descendants of Edom. But you see, when the Romans came in, because they got tired of the way Jerusalem kept rebelling, they destroyed Jerusalem again. But they also destroyed Edom. Edom no longer exists. But you know who does exist? the descendants of Israel. Do you know who really exists today? The church. As God's kingdom. As God's people. God was going to carry out his judgment against Judah, or against Edom, rather. He did carry out his judgment against Judah as well. But in this chapter, he's talking about his judgment against Edom. As you think about those people of Judah, who are wondering, how long, oh God, are you going to allow this to go on? How long are we going to continue to suffer? We realize we've sinned. You carried us away to Babylon. How many more times are you going to slap us? How many more times are you going to chastise us? How much more punishment are we going to take? God says, don't worry, guys. I see it. And I'm going to carry out my justice against Edom. And he does that. When we look at books like Obadiah, and God addresses the nations, you look at Isaiah, you look at Jeremiah, you look at Ezekiel, there are messages to the nations. God is talking to those nations to be sure, but really he's talking to Israel and Judah. And his message to them as he talks of the punishment and the judgment against these other nations is a message of, look, guys, if you return to me, if you follow me, there will be punishment for those who afflict you. And the faithful will return. 
And as we look at the end of what God says here in Obadiah to the people of Edom, his message, yes, is to Edom, but also to Israel. And that message is the faithful get to come home. The faithful get to come back to Zion. And they're not going to have to worry about the people that bring calamity against them. And sometimes we face crises, whether it's unemployment, whether it's financial problems, whether it's health problems, whether it's the loss of someone close to us, whether it's some tragedy that has come against our nation or against our city or against our school or against someone we love. We know that God sees it and in his own time, he will take care of it. But as long as we are faithful, we get to look forward to the time that we get to come home. To come home to a beautiful home with our Father in heaven. As Christians, we need to be careful not to act like Edom. When we see calamity strike those who are our enemies, when we see calamity strike those who we don't like, we shouldn't rejoice. We shouldn't be happy. We shouldn't say things like, oh, man, that couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. We need to let all those things be in God's hands. And we need to be faithful to God in our mind, in our actions, in the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we teach knowing that God is going to bring us home. Satan tries to take advantage of us every way he can. He uses all sorts of calamities to distract us from God. He uses all sorts of, uh, of problems and, and strife in the world to distract us from following God. We can't succumb to that. We need to always be faithful to God. Sometimes Satan really gets the ball rolling against us. And he puts calamity against calamity and crises upon crises, all to get us to turn from God. But we need to remember that we ought to turn closer to God. We ought to seek God. We ought to praise God and be faithful to God at every turn. Because he does see, he does care, and he'll take care of it. Edom was condemned because of her pride. That was a false pride. Seeking protection in their high cliffs, seeking to take advantage of someone else's dis disadvantage and, and calamity. But God saw, and God would bring it back upon them. Just as Satan seeks to destroy us, and yet God sees that, and he will bring us home. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're someone who has suffered calamities or crises or tragedies in life. Maybe there's been one thing on top of the other, and Satan seeks to use those as a way to bring more harm to you. Maybe trying to distract you from God. Be faithful, because God's going to take care of that. And at the same time, he promises to bring you home. If you need to be united with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism so that you too can be able to go home one day. Maybe you have other needs that you want the church to be aware of. Whatever your need, together we stand and sing.